So we're continuing our series in First Peter, and we're talking about being on mission. And, um, you know, I got to hand it to Andrew. I think that choosing the book of First Peter is a great book for this idea of being on mission. I know some of you are thinking that by saying that, I might be kissing up to Pastor Andrew. And, uh, you know, you'd be right. Um, but it's, it's the honeymoon phase, so that's what this time is for. We just say great things and just compliment each other all the time. Um, but actually, I do, I do think it's a great book to help us be on mission because Peter is writing to an embattled church. Peter is writing to a church that has been under a lot of trials and is suffering. And he's going to tell them, you need to keep going. This is actually what you've been called to. Your suffering is nothing to be surprised at. And it's actually who you are in Christ to embrace that suffering. And actually, that is part of how you fulfill your identity to be a holy priesthood to the world you are in. And so it's this idea that you have, we've been as Christians exiled, we're exiles, God has called us out of this world, but yet we're in this world, how do we live in it? And so Peter is going to, throughout the whole book, kind of say, stay on mission, be who God has called you to be. And today's topic, as we try to stay on mission, is we have to deal with this, this problem of resistance from the community around us, from other people who, who don't like what Christians are about. And so today's topic is we need to be fearless in that mission. If we're going to stay on mission, we can't be intimidated and afraid by people who hate our mission and are against our mission. Um, this made me think of uh, Harry Potter. been watching a lot of Harry Potter in my family. If you guys have seen that movie, Harry Potter is this, as a young child, he has to stay with his uncle and aunt and his cousin. Remember them? And they hate him. But they're like, fine, if we have to have you, then what we want you to do is we want you to live in your closet. We want you to live in this closet. Just stay in there and get out of the way. And that's his whole existence. And I think as Christians, we can feel like that, especially maybe in the East Bay, especially in certain in parts of our community that really don't like the message of Christianity, their message is fine. If you're going to believe that, keep that in the closet. Keep that to yourself. Don't bring that out here where we can see it. And so we kind of have this Harry Potter um, experience where we're supposed to stay in our closet. But then Peter comes in like Hagrid, knocking down the door, say, what are you doing in that closet, Harry? You're Harry Potter. Harry's like, what? He's trying to say, don't you know who you are? You're a wizard. <laughs> Live that up. I want you guys to know that um, when Andrew gave me this passage, I did this really deep, thorough, like exegetical outline of the whole book of 1 Peter. I take exegesis very seriously. But I do have to acknowledge that my big takeaway was, wow, it's like we're Harry Potter. So that's just the way I think just kind of pop culture, but um, I think it's true. The world, the world and our community wants to keep us in the closet, but we need to be fearless. So the question is, how do we be fearless? How do we be fearless? So Peter needs to help 
this church because he's going to tell them in verse 14. He's going to say that you, who, you know, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Um, and so don't be afraid or be troubled. Don't, like, don't even be afraid in your heart. Sometimes I think of fearlessness as even when we're afraid, we still go take action. But Peter's saying, you don't even need to be afraid. You should have this like Zen tranquility in the face of this evil. And so how do, he's going to have to help them have that fearlessness. So I think Peter's going to say we need three things. We need zeal. We need to be fired up. Those are the same thing. To be fearless, we need to be fired up. We need to be prepared. And we actually need fearfulness. To be fearless, we'll need fearfulness, a kind of fearfulness. So let's jump in. Um, One of the things that Peter says, and he says this in verse 13, he says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So notice his call to be fearless. He's saying, <clears throat> if you are really, <clears throat> if you are really passionate about doing God's will, why are you afraid? And so the first principle is that to, is that to be fearless, we have to be zealous for doing good. We have to be passionate about doing God's will. That's where it starts. We have to be a fired up church. We have to be fired up to do God's will in and where he has us. We have to be zealous and Peter's gonna say, so if you're zealous, why are you afraid? So that's the first thing. We have to have zeal. But where does zeal come from? How can we be zealous? So I want us to watch, I want us to notice how Peter starts off this passage, when he's going to call the church to be zealous and fearless for good in the face of suffering, notice where he starts us off. Verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. As Peter calls the church to zeal for being good, he says that's going to start by you being a loving church community. In other words, our zeal for good has to be cultivated. We could think of it like a seed. We're like a seed. We need to be planted in good soil, and that soil is this church community. In other words, if we're going to go take a beating out there, we shouldn't be taking a beating in here. But we should be a community that encourages one another and is this compassionate community. I just want to highlight these words. I want us to dwell on. He says, first of all, have unity of mind. That's challenging. He's saying you need to think alike. Is that something we do well here in America? In our individualistic society? With our, with our big degrees? Do we want to think alike? No, we bristle at that. We bristle at group think. And yet, Paul seems to be saying you need to have this kind of groupthink. Unity of mind. So that's a challenge, but let me give us a little help. I got, I got some help on this because I feel that same thing. Like, how do we have unity of mind? Listen to what G.K. Chesterton says about argument. 
He says, the aim of argument is differing in order to agree. The failure of argument is when you agree to differ. You know what he's saying there? As a church, we should be very uncomfortable with disagreement. We should be working really, really hard to say, I really, really, really want to agree with you. That should be our mindset. But to get there, I have to show my disagreement sometimes. But what what Chesterton is saying is the reason why you argue is to get to a point of agreement. So part of what I wanted to say from this point was we need to be an arguing church. But Andrew's going to be like, no, don't say that. Please don't say that. But I, I hope you guys hear his point. In other words, sometimes if I disagree with a brother or a sister, I might say, I need to, you know, I, I want to agree with you, but I need to tell you why I don't agree so that I can try to agree. Does that make sense? So that's, I think, a way we can approach unity to, to have this honesty about some of our disagreements, not because we want to be right and show how you're wrong, but to say, but I wonder if there's a way we can agree. We got to work through, through these objections together. I think that is a, a loving approach where a community like 21st century America can have a church with unity. And then he says you need to have sympathy. So we're a church that is uh, able to in, 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 uh, engage and enter into our hurts and our burdens, as well as our joys. We're our best cheerleaders for each other. We're our best therapists for each other. He also says that we need to have a brotherly affection a compassionate heart. We're eager to see each other, embrace each other, love each other. We're compassionate. We're not judgmental. We're willing to be uh, compassionate for each other's burdens. And then this last one, to have a humble mind. We need to have a humble mind. Now, I think that idea of having a humble mind is this idea that we're, we're people we're willing to have some self-reflection about what we believe, that maybe our views are wrong. We hold our opinions somewhat loosely. We come to the table with curiosity. That's a humble mind. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the amount of wisdom we have is a derivative of how much we fear the Lord. So I want to ask you, if any of you have to fear the Lord, at a place where you're like, yeah, I got this. And if you don't, you know, if you don't feel that way, then maybe you have room to grow in wisdom. And so none of us should come to the table with this sense like we got this. We know it. And I remember I, uh, I was talking with a, a member one time, and he was telling me that he, he was an executive in a high, at a really big company. He was a high-level executive in a really big company, had a lot of leadership and management experience. And I expected him to say to me, so Paul, you know, I have a lot to offer the church because of that experience. He actually said the opposite. He said, you know, and God forbid I bring that experience into the church and mess it up. What do I know about leading God's church was his his view on that. Now, I personally value anyone's leadership experience in any context, but I appreciated his humble mind towards his experience, that he came to the church with a learning, humble attitude. That's what we need. So to be fearless, we need to be empowered by a loving church 
But what motivates our fearlessness? It's cultivated in the soil of a loving church, but we, it needs to be watered. What is the water that grows our fearlessness, if we can think of it that way? And so listen to what Peter says. He goes on to say, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, do good, even in the face of evil, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, look how he calls us to push through, you will be blessed. So zeal for doing good is motivated by God's blessing. We want and seek God's blessing. And so the question there is, well, what is God's blessing? How are we to understand that? And so Peter actually, to to unpack what that blessing is, he quotes from Psalm 34, and this is what he says. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So the good of omission, not doing certain things. We're gonna have to avoid certain sins to pursue good. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek Peace, that word is shalom in the Hebrew. It is, it is well-being, it is prosperity, it is completeness. So we're seeking the good of the community. We're seeking justice together, the good of the orphan and the widow. We're pursuing peace. It's not just like a calm, but it, it is more of a justice kind of peace. And we're pursuing it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So notice how he says what the blessing is. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Do you want to be somebody that gets the most out of life? That lives life to the fullest. Fullness of days that you feel like you are living on this earth for the very purpose you were created. Do you want to feel that? God says that's a blessing from God. Do you want good days? That word good doesn't mean peaceful or easy. It's the idea of like God is good. That kind of goodness, like righteous days. Do you want to see days full of goodness? That's a blessing from God. And so that's what he wants to give to us. And notice who he gives it to, he says, the eyes are on the righteous. And so let's put on our New Testament lens and understand who are the righteous. They're the ones that, that Jesus has redeemed. They're the ones that have gone to the cross, bowed the knee, has seen their Savior dying for them to bring them into his kingdom to forgive them and reconcile them to God. Those are the people that God says are righteous. Those who are no longer living for themselves or relying on themselves, but now live in thankfulness to God's mercy for them. Those are the righteous Those are the ones whose hearts have been changed to say, I don't want to live this life for me anymore. I want to live for what God says. 
because he's the one that died for me. He's the one that rescued me. He's my Lord and Savior. Those are the righteous. And so when God gets a hold of your heart like that, do you know what you start to do? You start to pray. You know why you're praying all of a sudden? Because you want to do things that God wants you to do. And you're like, that's impossible. I can't do that. But I want to, but I can't. And it's scary, but I, how are we going to do this? So you get on your knees. Because now you want to share Christ with somebody. Now you want to study and teach the Bible. Now you want to reconcile this difficult relationship. Now you want to love this person. Now you want to get up and preach a sermon. And so you get on your knees because you're like, I can't do this. You know what God is saying? He's saying, my eyes are on you now. I love what I'm seeing now. The movie has started. I got the popcorn out. And he is fully engaged now. He is watching you, but he does more than watch. He says he hears your prayer. He now works through you. He says, when you pray to see my will come on this earth, I'm going to move through that prayer. And so that's the good life. That's the blessing that Peter says we can have. That's the good life. And so Solano, let us be zealous for doing good because God has called us to that through nothing less than the death and resurrection of his son so that we would be blessed, that we would follow in his footsteps. And so as we, Peter is trying to say, pursue that, pursue that. He will bless you. Look at what I'm gonna do through you. But if we morph our vision of the good life into a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life of avoiding pain, if that's the kind of church we're gonna be, just kind of keeping the status quo, keeping our head down, staying in our closet, then we're just gonna reap being a bump on the log. We're just gonna be a church that's taking up space here in El Cerrito with our few acres. We're going to be a church that Jesus says is salt that's lost its saltiness. So we have to be zealous for good, but we're motivated by God's blessing. And here's the thing. The most powerful form of that blessing comes when we suffer. Comes when we suffer for doing good. We're not only to be zealous for good, but we got to be ready for suffering. So to be fearless in our mission we have to be prepared for suffering. So the first thing, to be fearless, we have to be zealous, and now we need to be prepared for suffering. And so he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So notice Peter says that we cannot be afraid. Have no fear of man. Don't even be troubled. 
Don't even let them bother you. How do we get that way? How are we able to represent Christ with this absolute peace in our hearts when when the people around us try to intimidate us and attack us, push us down? How do we live with just serenity about that? And so Peter's answer is because you honor the Lord Jesus Christ as holy in your hearts. In other words, what Jesus says, his opinion means so much more to you that man's opinion is this little itty-bitty speck of dust. It's kind of like, imagine you were just from the East Bay. And, you know, in terms of mountain ranges, the biggest mountain in your life was Mount Diablo. That's pretty good, pretty good, pretty high up there. But all of a sudden, or at some point in your life, you discover the Himalayas. And you're like, that's a mountain. That is a mountain. Mount Diablo, well, I, I could hike that in a day. I could, I could hike that with my kids. That ain't nothing. The Himalayas is a real mountain. So the idea of honoring Jesus as holy, that word holy, we can think of as pure. That's not what it means. It means set apart. It means sacred. It means absolutely unique. No one else has that place in your heart. Not even close. Everyone else are little Mount Diablos. Their opinion are like little Mount Diablos, God's opinion, God's words, Himalayas is the idea. And so what Peter is saying is he's saying, Jesus is the curios of your heart, not man. He is Lord. He's king of kings. Honor him as Lord. Make him holy. Don't let man's opinion rule his heart. Don't give what man says that sacred space in your heart. To direct your very motivations in life, you're going to give that place to man? Peter is saying, give that place to God. God belongs there. He is worthy of your fear. He is the one that created you. Man didn't create you. Man didn't ransom you with his precious blood. Man didn't redeem you. Man doesn't sanctify you. Man doesn't make you into a holy dwelling that he works through, turns you into his body, that he indwells. God does that. So he's saying when we can make... God holy and see who Christ is as the king of kings in our hearts, man's opinion. We will not be troubled when they are troubled by our beliefs. But what does it look like? What does it look like to honor Christ? Peter gives the negative command, don't be afraid. He gives us the the resources to not be afraid. Reminding us where of Christ's worthiness to be holy in our hearts. What does that look like? He says that we need to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So what does it look like to honor Christ as holy? Well, it looks like when the world attacks Christianity... 
When the world says what we're doing should be in a closet, we don't just walk away or shrink back. We have a ready defense. We have a good argument. We are ready to answer their objections with a prepared defense. That word defense is apologia. So words used to, uh, in, in a court of law, a legal defense. I want you guys to think for a second, you're in a lot of trouble. And you want to hire a lawyer to defend you, to make a defense. What do you want that lawyer to do? Do you want, you, do you, do you want him to prepare to study the case, to know, to know case history, to know the evidence, to know the arguments? Yeah, absolutely you do. You don't want some bum that's just going to wing it in there. You want him to be ready and prepared and study for hours and hours and hours. So when he gets in there and, and it's, it's the moment and it's, you know, it's where it counts, he's ready. Peter's saying that's kind of how Christians need to approach this. J.P. Moreland, he wrote a book called Loving God with All Your Mind. And he was criticizing evangelicalism that we have lost our intellectual edge. We have lost our ability to think critically about the objections of the day and about what Christianity can really say to the issues of the day. He, he says that we've become too, we've become uh, too much uh, focused on the experience too much focused on the conversion experience and the emotional side of it, the worship experience, and not enough on the intellectual side. And so that's why he says we've got to love God with all our mind is part of the equation. And we've lost that edge. And so he says if we're going to be wise, spiritual people, prepared, remember, to be fearless, we need to be prepared to meet the crisis of our age. We must be in a studying, learning community that values the life of the mind. We need to be prepared. We need to be men and women of study and learning and have answers that we can give in a clear way. But notice Peter's motivation isn't so that we win people over at this point. That's not what's going to win people over. We do that because he's saying that's how you honor Christ. That's how you honor him in your heart. It's like someone trying to say, Mount Diablo is better and higher than the Himalayas. Are you going to let that stand? You're going to say, no, 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 whoa, 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 wait a second. Not even close. 25,000 feet, 10,000 feet. I have no idea how high Mount Diablo is. 3,000 feet? See? It's not even, it's even worse. We're ready. We're not going to let, we're not going to let that stand. No, now, now, some of you are a little worried because you're wondering, well, that sounds a little harsh. That sounds maybe a little even arrogant. So watch what Peter says, how we do win people over. If we're going to be fearless, we have to be zealous for doing good and prepared for suffering. But what will actually win people is that as we are fearless in our mission, we have to be fearful in our conduct. And by fearful, I mean reverent, respectful. Here's what he says. 
But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's not our slick arguments. They're going to win people. And I'm kind of saying we should have some slick arguments. I am kind of saying that. Let's have some good arguments, you guys. Let's not be afraid of that. That's not what's going to win people. It's how we suffer. It's how we represent Christ. And so he says this, For it is better to suffer for doing good, that if, it, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, dot, dot, dot. Uh, side note, the, the next passage is one of the weirdest passages of the New Testament. So I encourage you to study that. Let me know what you think it means. I professionally skipped it. Because uh, he's trying, look at what he says here. Since therefore, whenever you see a therefore, just a little hermeneutical tidbit, that's the author saying, here's my point. Here, here's what I'm getting at. So I, I'm like, just jumping to the point, Peter. That, you, you were trying to say something there. We'll, we'll figure that out one day. Um, but here's what he's saying. Since therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same kind of thinking. That's his payday for us. It is actually our conduct in the face of suffering that has the biggest impact. It is our demonstration of the gospel by how we suffer. The way Christ suffered for us, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. That is the greatest power to change this world that God has given us the ability to do. Is that we are, when we are fearless in our mission, we have to be fearful in our conduct. And so when we suffer, Peter draws a direct line to say, you are doing exactly what Christ did. You are representing him in the most powerful way. Don't shrink back from that. In fact, you are most blessed when you experience that. So let us be fearful in our conduct. So how do we live this out? I just want to close. Try to give some application. We will live out our God-given mission with zeal and fearlessness if first we are committed to a loving church community. I want to go back to that point. I want you to think about how can you do your part to have unity with others, sympathy towards others? How do you need to take on a humble mind? That's the kind of community we need. We need to be a community of cheerleaders and healers. Rah, rah each other, celebrate each other, drop the rivalry, repent of the, the jealousy and the envy, and be cheerleaders, but also be healers. Listen to each other's pain. Sympathize. Number two, instead of being intimidated by our culture, we are fearless 
to dive in and wrestle with how to best answer and defend our faith. Something that we do here at Solano that excited me, just to answer Andrew's question, what am I excited to jump into specifically, is Gospel Academy. This is our effort to help us follow Peter and being fearless by being prepared for an answer. We need to think through and train our minds and our mouths to know how to handle God's truth in the face of objections. You're not just going to wake up one day and know how to do that. You've got to work at it the way a lawyer works at being good at the courtroom. That doesn't just happen. We've got to be trained for it. So I hope because of my sermon, the next Gospel Academy training, we get like 100 sign-ups. Now, I have no idea if you guys sign up for it or not. I don't really know how well attended they are, but I'm giving it my best plug. Because I think that's what Peter's trying to tell us to do. If we're going to be fearless, let's be prepared. Help, let us train you. Help us train each other. Our job as staff, as pastors, is to have some good content, okay? But it helps when you guys are enthusiastic about it. Like, oh man, people want to sign up to this. Let's go get it. Let's do this. But if it's like three people are going to sign up, it's like, oh, okay. So let's be excited for opportunities, whether it's Gospel Academy or others, to be prepared to defend our faith, to answer the objections. And as we do that, you will be blessed. And as you do that, that's how you honor Christ as holy. You set his opinion apart. You study what Jesus says. You study it. And you you help it come alive in your heart, and then you're ready to share it lovingly, gently, respectfully. And lastly, that we would be so caught up in God's holiness and blessing, his uniqueness, his majesty, his lordship. He is our savior. We're so caught up in that, and that he blesses us. He gives us good things as we pursue his will. We're so caught up in that that we are peaceful and loving in the face of persecution. So if we can live this out, Solano, God's eyes are on us. He's watching us with rapt attention. It's a beautiful sight to him to see us living out our calling to be his precious possession, to be a holy priesthood to this world, His eyes are on us, blessing awaits. He hears our prayers. When we struggle in that battle, we get on our knees together, he hears us, which means he answers, synonymous. He works through it, that's what it means. What can we accomplish together? But if we do not live this out, if we settle for selfishness and fear, capitulation, lukewarmness, Status quo, mediocrity. It's scary to think about where that will lead us. So let's rally as a church to worship our God and be the precious possession he's called us to be. Let me pray. Lord, you've called us to a big mission because you are a holy God. No one compares to you. You alone are worthy of our fear. And so because of that, we can live fearlessly in the face of opposition. Lord, because we know that the blessing that you give us is worth our every effort of our mind, of our heart, 
of our love. So help us to be that kind of church community that loves one another, that encourages us, that we are a sanctuary for each other as we do your will in this world. Let us be that kind of church that is fearless to be on mission with you. Lord, we're excited to see what you're gonna do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.